0: So this morning we're going to be talking about discipleship, or really the process of discipleship. So if you look at chapter 18 of Acts here, really an intro to this, I want to just share the reality of the yoke and the cross. Those are things we read about often in scripture, and they are really twin symbols of the Christian experience. You see the cross speaks of leaving the world, right, for Christ. And the yoke speaks of learning in the world from Christ. Is it easy to be in the world? Yeah, especially when we have come to faith in Christ. We are born again. We are a new creation in Christ. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are, as the church, what? Set apart from this world for the Lord, but we still live here. (laughs) And I don't know about you guys, but it's hard. (laughs) It is hard. But that's where we have a loving Father Who is there for us, who is walking with us in this world? Okay? He is there to help. And really, aren't you guys glad that God became a man? (laughs) You know? He actually, hey, he's not just up in heaven saying, hey, guys, just do this. No, he came and he was tempted like you and I are, yet without sin. He never sinned. He did it. He lived it. He walked it. He can sympathize with us. He understands when we're struggling or when it's so hard. We get to go to our Lord and say, I need help. Yes, son, I understand. I'm there for you. Let's do it. He's been a great example for us. So really, when you consider the yoke and the cross, one speaks of sacrifice, the other of service. And the disciple must bear both. Why do I bring it up? Because we're talking about discipleship this morning, and both these are realities for us. So we cannot choose to take one and leave the other. So we have Paul. He's on his third missionary journey here. So let's do a running commentary this morning. Uh, then we'll come back and we'll hit on the main theme. So if you look at verse 1 with me, we're going to see Paul in Corinth here. He says, it says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens, and he went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who recently had come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Priscilla because Claudius had commanded the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he persuaded both Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. And from now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there, and he entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Now Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, of God, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silence, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Gallio was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names in your own law, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks and the Seustians, the rulers of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment uh, seat. And Gallio took no notice of these things. So, Paul steps off the bus in Corinth. Uh, the cityus, probably the most sedious place in all of Greece. It was equipped with 1,000 plus prostitute temples, okay? Um, The temple of Aphrodite uh, was there. The Greeks had a verb to be Corinthicized, um, which really meant to live a life uh, of debauchery, okay, of of lust, to fornicate. Uh, As you guys know, Corinth is at the bottom of Greece. There was the Isthmus that was joined to the southern part of the Greek peninsula there. Uh, which would allow them to go mainland uh, to the north. Uh, The Olympian Games came from the Isthmian Games, which are located right there in the Isthmus uh, in Corinth. It's about three and a half miles wide. Um, People could cross there instead of taking the (laughs) 200-mile road around. So this was a huge thing for them in that day. It became a port city. It controlled two ports, uh, Lechium to the west and Centuria to the east. The population was about 200,000, okay? So that's kind of like the Fox Valley, pretty big, lots of people. Uh, Paul will write two epistles while he's in Corinth. Uh, he wrote first and, th- uh, first and Second Thessalonians. while he was there, and he actually wrote 10 books. If you guys have been tracking with us through Acts, and you actually look back at the different dates and different things he spoke in. 10 of the books that he wrote in the New Testament, happened during the book of acts i think that's pretty cool um so he actually uh well he came here look at verse three um he, he now is working with uh these two this husband and wife they were tent makers paul also being a tent maker or a cloth worker uh coarse fabric they would often use very thick goat uh hides uh here uh to make these different things such as curtains rugs clothing, and also tents. We um, see in verse 5, relief then comes from Silas and Timothy, probably through Philippi. If you guys remember reading the book of Philippians, you guys remember what Paul says in Philippians 4.15, Now you Philippians know also that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Okay, so Philippi was probably the supporting church for Paul at this time. And then, um, fears seem to do the best haunting at night. Would you guys agree with me? Look at verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. So what are your late night fears telling you? What's keeping you up at night? Which area of your life do you need to hear do not be afraid? I want you to write it down in your bulletin. Yep, right now. (laughs) Write it down. Because then you'll think on it. You'll pray on it. Seek the Lord on those things. So I don't know about you guys, but I've heard the scriptures speak in a way that says that perfect love casts out fear. Right? We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. What does this world have on us? What does the enemy have on us? What does God want us to do with those fears? Well, 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us what? Cast all your cares, the whole of. Take those fears to the cross. Cast them upon the Lord, for he cares for you. He wants us to take them. But why do we hold on to them? God says, I want to take them for you. I'll take those. You don't need to be stressing out. You need to be anxious over these things. You don't need to be fearful. Bring them to me. Give them to me. And then I love what he says in verse 10 I am with you. Don't you guys love that little phrase? I hope he got like that highlighted with little hearts around it or stars if you're a dude. <laughs> Just, I love that. We see it throughout scriptures, right? Didn't he say that? Wasn't that God's promise to Isaac, to Jacob, to the Jews while they were in Babylon? jeremiah spoke it the jews while they were rebuilding the temple and then we have jesus come on the scene matthew 28 verse 18 i think lo i'm with you always even to the end of the age god's promised that i will never leave you or forsake you and i love being a part of the new covenant okay there's so many ifs and thens in the old testament you know hey god's with me as long as i'm with him But I know there's times that I'm a Jonah. I want to run from God. But being a part of the New Testament, the new covenant, okay, relationship with our God, that he is our dad. When a person is spiritually born again, how does that happen? Well, faith in Christ alone. But what does the Bible say? Hey, when you're born again, you're born again in the spirit, and the spirit does what? It cries out, Abba, Daddy. You have a relationship with him. Guys, there's no running from your dad. You can't do that. He loves you. He is with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He says, I love that. So when he says, I am with you, he is. So um, let's speak into this Galio guy for a second. We see verses 12 to 17. Uh, He is the Roman authority of Acacia at the time. Elder brother of Senseca. uh, Famous philosopher. Uh, He was actually the tutor to Nero. Uh, there, here, here's uh, what has happened in this section. Okay, unprecedented historical decision had taken place right here, in which Acts is speaking of. The Jews are forcing Rome's hand in regard to the imperial cult. So, by the time Christianity arrived, the Roman Empire had begun to deify its human emperors. So all Roman citizens were uh, were required by law to participate in different festivals and different ceremonies that would honor their gods, and this became a serious problem uh, from the end of the century. For two hundred years, Roman government was responsible for some of the most uh, indescribable atrocities against Christians throughout history, um, has ever been recorded. i don't even want to talk about them study church history okay they're just crazy what they did to believers um what they're doing today over in the middle east just beheading a christian i mean that's nothing compared to what they did to the christians during this time uh yet (laughs) this wasn't really a problem yet and why not because the Jews, like the Christians, also worshipped only one God. The Romans had recognized this and had declared Judaism a religio licita, or in Latin, it's a legal religion. It's okay at this time. So thus, the Jews were exempt from their requirements. So when Christianity came along, it began as a messianic Judaism. It was a branch of Judaism so here in Corinth, the Jewish leaders, they tried to draw a line and declare Christianity shouldn't be considered a part of Judaism. And if they could, they would only get it uh, declared religio illicita, or an illicit religion. So Gallio, he couldn't understand theological nuances like most of us today couldn't analyze the difference between, say, the Sunnis and the Shiites, the Muslim religion. Okay, there's very few of us actually know the different distinctions between the groups. We just know that they're Muslims, right? Um, so for the next 10 to 12 years until the uh, imperial policy towards Christians underwent a complete reversal, so really they, were remain, they remained free here to preach the gospel. What a great opportunity for Paul to go forth with his call from God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. You know, so... A lot happened in Corinth. Now, let's take a look at Ephesus, verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and he sailed to Syria with Priscilla and Aquila. were with him and he had his hair cut off in Centuria for he had taken a vow and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, Hey, I must by all means keep, uh, keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he landed in Caesarea, he had gone up and he greeted the church and he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia in Pergia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Pretty fun, huh? So why, you guys look at verse 18 here, why the stop at the (laughs) barbershop? These guys ask what are you doing, Paul? I haven't read of you doing this before. We're many years into your ministry now. What's up with you doing this? Well, it represented the fulfillment of the Nazarite vow. I asked you guys uh, to read through Numbers chapter 6. You guys can read it. If you didn't, go there and you will see a vow that the Nazarites would take. They would shave their heads in different rituals that they would have. And it was really of a, a symbol of offering. Hey, I'm offering myself to you, God. That's what it was. It was a vow in that way. It was a Jewish ritual of thanksgiving. Uh, deeply grateful for the fruit of really probably his two terms here. God, I am thankful you know uh, what you've done with my life because i was i was saw I, I was killing your children i was persecuting the church and you crashed in and you saved me and you called me by your grace to go minister the gospel And although it's been hard there's been so much fruit churches have been birthed people have come to faith people know the truth Thank you, God. I think Paul is just in a place of giving thanks to the Lord at this point in his life. And there's going to be different seasons. And God may ask you guys just to take a break. Hey, you just need a season to not shave your head bald. You don't need to look like me. But <laughs> just to give thanks to the Lord. So he's grateful, okay? There's a large church in Corinth, right? He was there for a year and a half. There was this legal victory in Gallo, Gallio's court uh, that he wouldn't be harmed, and as a result, many converts came. Uh, so a lot shaken out in Paul's life at this point. Now let's take a look at Acacia, verse 24. Now a certain Jews named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, he came to Ephesus. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And again, all they had was the Old Testament back then. Okay? I love talking with Jewish people. Hey, we don't need to talk about the New Testament. We don't need to open the Bible. Let's open your Bible, because, hey, your first 39 books are the same as mine. (laughs) And guess what? The volume of the book is about Jesus. Okay, It's great being able to share those prophecies and share Jesus from the Old Testament. So let's talk about this guy, Apollos. Okay, He was a man on fire. He was on fire for the Lord. Um, And as we consider him, and as we wrap up study this morning, I really want to talk with you guys about the process of discipleship. Okay? You see, discipleship explained. You guys can jot down 2 Timothy 2 2. Easy to remember. 2 Timothy 2 2. Okay? And it says there, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So that's really the process of discipleship. Me to you. faithful men and women and they'll share with others see how it works pretty simple right well i gotta share it i know you guys some of you heard this before um I, i love that we just were able to celebrate 10 years together as a church fellowship and there's there's been some really neat conversations i've been able to have with my wife okay she's been along for the whole ride okay i see a lot of people come and go from church She's just stuck with me. So wherever I go, she's, got, she's there, right? Um, but a big part of of what God has called uh, her and I to in ministry has been discipleship over the years. Uh, it doesn't matter what age, who, where. God's called us just to disciple, whether on the mission field or in a church setting or in small groups or youth ministry, children, Whatever there's a call to disciple, to disciple leaders to go into the jails. Whatever, okay, we're we're gonna disciple people. In in our conversations, we've just been able to share, uh, just in that reality. Okay, look what God's done, you know, and just the blessing. Even though it was raining like crazy out at the farm, <laughs> you know, it was so cool. The blessing. We're a tough church. Okay, crazy storm came through. And almost all you guys show up anyways. You know, it's just like, hey, are we going to cancel because of the weather? <laughs> you know? We're just kind of a tough church. We're just going to do it. <laughs> it's who we are. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to do what he asks us to do. And it was just neat hearing the stories. Okay, even brothers and sisters who had been part of the church years ago and have moved away and are part of other ministries and having an impact for the kingdom, you know, just a season of being at Freedom Fellowship where they were discipled well. In the word, they grew a lot. That where they went, they were able to be givers, servants, and stuff. And it's just one of those things that's really cool uh, to see is the reality of discipleship. And that's the primary thing that God's called us to. Like even our motto here at Freedom Fellowship, um, and what's a motto? Glad you asked. It's simply a rule that, a rules that we live by, right? You know, this is something that we live by. And here at Freedom Fellowship, if you look on our website, it's to live the great commandment and to fill the great commission. Pretty simple, right? Everybody wants a mission statement. They want to know what your church motto or values are. Hey, we want to love God with everything, and we just want to do what he asks us to do. What did he ask us to do? Go make disciples. (laughs) That's the Great Commission. Pretty simple, right? Love God and go share his love with others. So, the Great Commission really is about making disciples. But how do we do that? I'm glad you guys asked. Let's talk about it. Uh, when Christians develop principles of a balanced life, then what do we do? Well, uh, these were not meant to uh, stay locked in a vault, but really were been given much. Why? To give to others. Okay, it's not for us. Okay, if we're just always taking in, we're just gonna be a bunch of fat sheep. Okay, <laughs> and what do fat sheep do? They're not good for much. All they just do is sit around and eat. You know, that's not what God's calling us to. No we're taking in, we're being fed good. Why? Because God's asking us to go do the same. He wants to fill us up. He wants to teach us that we're healthy, that we're good, that we can go and we can share with others. So Paul really models discipleship in Corinth. I don't know if you guys caught that as we were reading through, but the first 23 verses there, you guys probably don't picture it because we don't often picture the Apostle Paul as a personal disciple maker, do we? We often look like, hey he's exploring new frontiers, he's church planning okay um but it's it's neat to examine what took place here in Corinth. You see Paul arrives there alone and seemingly financially strapped, so he ends up ministering there, as we're told in verse eleven for a whole year and a half. so some can debate uh you know debate whether he was really there that long or what was happening, but we actually can date the time he was there. Because of Gallio's reign. So Paul arrived in 50 AD. And he stayed there to 52. And he initiated a friendship. And he worked uh, with these guys making tents. He lived in their home. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla, great couple, correct? Marriage maintenance nights. I've preached on them twice through the years. Great example of a husband and wife in scripture. Each time they're mentioned, they're together. How cool is that? Okay, Uh, important workers to the early church. Uh, Being Jews, they were expelled from Rome. And one day they returned to Rome and they had a church in their house. Uh, And they were with Paul in Ephesus when he wrote 1 Corinthians. So their hearts, their hands, their homes, they were just given to the Lord. What a neat couple. God, we're yours. Whatever you want to do with us. So the application... In discipleship relationship, the better we know one another, the more we're going to learn to resolve real life problems. Just think if you had an apostle living with you in your home. <laughs> okay? Did the apostle Paul struggle in his faith? Absolutely. I mean, how many times do we see him, you know, just bearing all in the letters he wrote. Hey, I, I'm like the chief of sinners. <laughs> You know, the things I want to do, I don't do. You know, the sin I don't want to do, that I end up doing. (laughs) Like, what's wrong with me? You know, he was a man like you and I. He had real life struggles. He went through hardships. But wouldn't it be cool to see how he dealt with those things firsthand? Actually living with him, doing life with him, seeing the process, seeing brokenness, seeing humility, seeing the highs and the lows, and seeing his steadfastness despite all of it—that's part of discipleship, guys. So don't display a perfect Christian standard, okay? That no one can reach. Sometimes we think of that, you know. Well, I want to be discipled by so and so. You know, I have pastor friends who pay a lot of money to have, a per, you know, a personal mentor in their life. You know, well, I have this mentor. He's a pastor of a really big church and a really big ministry, and I can learn so much from him. He knows all the answers. He has it all together. I say, oh boy, what can you really learn from that? You see, guys, discipleship keeps the truth at eye level, making it understandable and making it accessible. So that's taking risks and allowing people watching you, <laughs> watching your Christianity, and being real in that. So, he trained them in spiritual matters. So, these included formal times in the synagogue as well as casual times in their home. We saw that in verse 4 and verse 11 here. He's also, his teaching wasn't cloaked with rhetoric, it was clothed with real life. And they eagerly embraced that. Um, I love discipleship. Okay. I'm working through two books with two friends right now. Okay. That's how I disciple, you know. I I don't—they're grown men. (laughs) Um, I I can't have them living me with me right now. They have their own families, you know. But they're two men that hey, I want to spend some time. I want to—I want to learn, you know. Great. Let's let's pick a book. And a lot of times when I'm discipling someone newer in the faith, you know, it's just sitting down reading scripture together. Hey, let's walk through Romans together. Let's consider the Gospel of John. Hey. What's going on in the world? let's spend some time in the minor prophets. Let's read the scriptures together. you know let's talk about them. ask questions because let me tell you what I have a lot of ideas and I have a lot of things to say, as you guys know, concerning the Lord. but my my brain works one way. you know I have, a, I have a process here, and a lot of times you know we have a lot of questions and a lot of things that maybe your disciple or' never hit on. Unless she asks. So it's good to ask questions, good to take that time to have interaction. So I encourage you guys, we're called to be uh, disciplers and to be discipled. I mean, that's what we need to be doing right now in our walk. You should be in a place, okay, where you're discipling someone. Well, I'm a new Christian. I don't care. There's somebody who doesn't know what you know. Even if you got just saved yesterday, You came to a knowledge yesterday of what saving faith looks like. Who Jesus is. What he's done so your sins could be forgiven. That he wants relationship with you. That there is eternal life. Those are some pretty big things most people don't know. So even if you're one day old in the Lord, you got something to share with somebody. You should be discipling somebody. And you also should be being discipled. Okay? That's just how it works. You should have people in your life. I've submitted myself to four or five older, older brothers who are pastors. I give myself, once a week, I meet with them. It's a lot of time around prayer. But this last Tuesday, we were considering the book of Isaiah, where God talks about making all things new. You guys know he's in the business of making things new? I mean, someone comes to faith in Christ, you're a new creation, okay? And we know that he's going to return. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. It's going to be beautiful and wonderful. That's just what God does. He's in the business of making things new. Well, I'm talking to guys who've been in ministry 30, if not longer, years than I have been. I've been doing ministry for almost 20 years already. I got a couple guys who've been in ministry for 50 years. Talk about a wealth of knowledge, of experience. And my question to them was, hey, before we pray, can I just ask you older brothers, what do you see God doing that's unique to right now that you haven't seen before? What new thing do you see him doing within the church? You know, And to have those brothers there to speak into my life and to be able to discern, hey, what God is doing, it's good to have those brothers who have a little bit of life experience those older saints to speak into our lives. So we need that. We need one another. So I encourage you guys to get into that place where you're discipling or being discipled. Okay? Yesterday we had the men here for men's prayer and then we have men's leadership. First Sunday of the month usually we gather together. Well, I'd encourage every man in the church, you know, even if you're a young adult, come out for that. We're all called to be leaders. <laughs> be a part of that. Women take opportunities. Get together with your sisters. One thing I know about the church today, we like coffee, most of us. <laughs> you know, hey, go grab a coffee with a sister in the Lord. You know, pray with one another, discuss what you're learning. You know, even on a Sunday morning, there's been so much in the book of Acts. Wouldn't it be cool if we actually just, you know, hey, that was a good sermon. Glad I learned a few. Actually prayed through what we learned. Study into what we're learning, sharing with others within the fellowship about what we're learning. Great opportunity. Well, hey, I want to do discipleship, but there's no one in my life to disciple. Open up your home. See what God does. Okay, I remember the first Bible study I ever led, uh, ended up doing it at, at Pilgrim's Cafe. Why? Because Christians like coffee. <laughs> so we went to the coffee shop. We hung out, you know. Within two weeks we had about 30, 40 people showing up. You know, I'm a young kid, I don't have a clue. I just know Ephesians is my favorite book in the whole Bible, and I want everybody else to think Ephesians is the best thing that's ever been written in the Bible. So I'm just teaching through the book of Ephesians, you know, and every week there'd be five, ten more people showing up, you know. What was it? Hey, we're just getting into the word. I didn't have the answers, I couldn't preach the way I preach now back then. We're just getting in, and I was just so excited. Like, hey, let's read this. we got to stop. That's really cool. What do you guys think about this scripture? It's just getting together and seeking the Lord together. So open up your homes. See what God does with that. Take opportunities. we got men's retreats, women's retreats. Take opportunities uh, to, to get into those relationships. So uh, if you guys grab uh, that handout that you guys received... Um, here's another idea that I found this week. There's some questions that provide plenty of, uh, really these questions to ask yourself, okay, um, or ask, uh, personally or of those whom you may be discipling. And I just want to read through these questions quick, because i really, uh, like to see all of you, uh, do this personally and share this with the person that you're discipling. But I, I want to read these questions Uh, to you guys and they're from uh, a book called The Rebuilding Your Broken World Uh, Gordon MacDonald wrote it and he just suggests these 26 um, questions here that really help develop accountability I think that's one thing that's really lacking in the church because we are so independent here in the west we're called to be part of the body we're called to work together to do life together to serve together to labor together but I see so often in the church well I don't need you you know, I don't, it's all about us, you know, and I'm only going to go to church if it's going to serve me in some way, that's not what the Bible teaches at all, stuff, so it it gives, it really invites feedback, and an opportunity to grow, um, and really submit yourself to spiritual uh, mentor, authority in your life, so I'd ask you guys uh, to go through this, and be honest so take some time maybe later today to go through i'm just going to read through the questions real quick with you guys number one it says how is your relationship with god right now you know i think that's probably the most important question you can ask anybody you care about a lot of you guys know that you know if we have some one-on-one one one of the first questions i normally ask you hey how's your soul doing how's your soul because that's the part that connects with god that's the important part how can you say your soul as well (laughs) hope so so, what have you read in the Bible in the past week? Number two. Or number three says, what, God's, or what has God said to you in this reading? Number four, Where do you find yourself resisting Him these days? And a lot of times that comes from Scriptures. Hey, how are you doing with the Lord? What do you read in the Scriptures? And there's conviction that comes when we're in the Word. It will encourage us, but it will also exhort us, it will rebuke us. And it's good to share that with other people. What's God teaching you right now? Let's talk about it. Let's pray together about that. Number five, what specific things are you praying for in regard to others? Number six, what specific things are you praying for in regard to yourself? Seven, what are the specific tasks facing you right now that you consider incomplete? Number eight, what habits uh, intimidate you? Nine, what have you read in the secular press this week? Oh boy, crazy this week. Uh, number 10, what general reading are you doing? Number 11, uh, what have you done to play? Number 12, how are you doing with your spouse? How's that relationship? How's your relationship with your kids going? 13, if you were to ask your spouse about your state of mind, state of spirit, state of energy level, what would their response be? Because you know? we deceive ourselves. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Things are good. What would Sonny say? you're a mess. (laughs) It's, uh, It's good to get other input too. Number 14, are you sensing spiritual attacks from the enemy right now? Number 15, if Satan were trying to invalidate you as a person or as a servant of the Lord, how might he do it? Number 16, what is the state of your sexual perspective? Tempted? Dealing with fantasies? Entertainment? Number 17, where are you financially right now? Are things under control? Are you under anxieties? Are you worrying about your budget? Or are you in great debt? Number 18, are there any unresolved conflicts in the circle of relationships, your relationships right now? When was the last time you spent time with a good friend of your own gender? Number 20, what kind of time have you spent with anyone who is a non-Christian this month? Number 21, what challenges do you think you're going to face in the coming week, month? What would you say are your fears at the present time? 23, are you sleeping well? 24, what are three things that you're most thankful for? And number 25 tells us, and you are, Or do you like yourself at this point in your pilgrimage? And the last one, 26, what are are your greatest confusions about your relationship with God? So I personally would love if somebody sat down and actually asked those questions and be able to talk through those things. It's one of those things, uh, as a child of God, you want to serve Him well. (laughs) You want to be growing And it is nice to have these type of questions set before you because they are challenging. Honestly, how many of you guys, even half of these questions in the last month, you've actually thought maybe at least half of these, like, hey, I really thought about that and I really prayed on it and and talked about it. You know, these are great questions, but they're questions we don't address because life's too busy. There's too much other stuff going on. This would be good for us to do. So share with your mentor, your discipler. Uh, if you don't have one, fill it out and bring it to me next week. Okay, I'm your pastor. I love you. Uh, maybe we'll sit down and talk. If not, we'll get it to some of the elders, some of the older sisters in the church. We need each other. It's part of the church. We are here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And if we aren't able to be real and honest with one another, to deal with life together, then what are we doing? You know, we're not a social club. (laughs) We're here for a purpose. We're here for one another. Let's love each other well for the glory of God. Amen? Amen? So really, here's the ultimate goal. A disciple continues in the Word, continues loving others, continues to bear fruit, and puts Christ first. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. And that's what we should be doing for one another is encouraging each other in those things. So his third step was to multiply himself through them. So this is implied in his actions. If you look at verse 18, 19, and 24, okay, we see Paul doing that. He's pouring into these guys. So those in Ephesus desired Paul to stay, we t- were told in verse 20, but instead he turned it over to Aquila and Priscilla. Isn't that so cool? You know, Here you go. And that's what we want to do in ministry, guys. We want to be turning over ministry. One of the things I know about people who do ministry well and are being fruitful, they're servants. <laughs> they see a need and they say, hey, let's get that done. Let's do something about it. Those are the type of people you want freed up, right? Because <laughs> they're going to do. Well, how does that happen? How does a brother or sister get freed up? It's by others stepping up and doing what's needed. You know? And that's what I love about Paul. He was a church planter. You know, there are people who are called and given to a church body. Priscilla and Aquila, they had a heart for the saints, for the church there in Ephesus. Hey, we're willing to serve. We're willing to open our home. We're willing to do life. Whatever <laughs> these believers need, we're here for them. Paul's like, great. Here you go, I'm out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's pretty awesome. So we see that here with these guys. So after a distinguished performing career, uh, virtuoso violinist, Joshua Hefids. uh, He accepted an appointment over at UCLA as a professor of music. And he was asked what had prompted him to change his career. And he replied and said, violin playing is a perishable art. It must be passed on as a personal skill Otherwise, it is lost. So we need to listen to that great musician. Living the Christian life is a highly personal experience. We can pull it off merely by, we can't pull it off just by watching skilled veterans perform. You know? Hey, look at that super saint. Okay? Look at him go. Look at her do that. Watching doesn't do it, guys we got to experience it. And we got to do it with others. So we need to be hands-on instruction. That takes too much time. Aren't there quicker ways to see people come to faith? Aren't there quicker ways for the church to grow? For us to mature? We think so. Go into your Christian bookstore. There's a whole bunch of books for the church today how to do that. As you guys know here at Freedom, we don't really care what people think. What does God say? God says go into the world and make disciples. And what does discipleship look like to the Lord? We see it being played out here this morning for us in scriptures. It takes time. God himself, why didn't he uh, go on missions trips like Paul and the other apostles did? Why didn't he travel around and just tell everybody how it was? Why did he just stay home his entire life around Galilee? Why did he spend three years only with 12 guys? He was God. Why didn't he teach thousands of people? Why did he just grab 12 in three whole years and waste it just on those guys? Maybe that's God's way. Maybe those 12 guys, as history tells us, turned the whole known world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe God's ways are way higher than ours, beyond ours. Maybe we just need to do what he's asked us to do. Just disciple. There's 7 billion people in the planet, guys. The church has been kicking for 2,000 years There's a whole lot of people upon this planet that don't know anything of Jesus Christ. There's so many that have a form of godliness, may know Jesus in name. There's two billion Muslims who are following a false god. What's going on? The program doesn't seem to be working. God's heart is none should perish. God's heart is that we go into all the world. What's going on? We're not making disciples. That's all it is. Talked to thousands of Christians in my life and I'd say 80% of them have never discipled anybody. The one thing God's asked us to do and about 80% of Christians that I've met, and his number's probably higher than that, but most have never discipled anybody. The one thing God's asked us to do as his church, as believers, go make disciples. And most Christians haven't made a disciple. What's going on? What if we did it God's way? You guys have heard me share this before. If we took discipleship seriously, starting with just one person here this morning, just one person investing one year into somebody else, discipling them, if that person came to faith in Christ and would do 2 Timothy 2, (laughs) 2, he then would go, and share with somebody else. And you, that second year, would go share with somebody else. And then that next year, they would do the same. You guys tracking with me? The next year, okay? Four years in, five years in, six years in, it'd only take 33 years for the entire world to be discipled in the truth of the gospel. 33 years. The church keeps trying this program and this program. Do this, try that. Just do God's thing. That's all we need to do. Take it serious. And it doesn't say to evangelize the world. We definitely need to share the gospel. But a lot of times I think we're hesitant as a church to disciple somebody because they're not a believer yet. No, you disciple them and hopefully they become a believer. That's how it works. And how does that happen? It's through Relationship. Uh, I've been able to lead a lot more people to Jesus Christ through relationship with them. than a not you know, one time in your face, here you go, here's the gospel. Every once in a while, they get saved that way. But <laughs> well, most of the time, it's through relationship. Okay, six years up in the jail as the chaplain, I don't know how many times I had guys come into a Bible study. They were there eight, nine, ten studies before it finally clicked for them. But what was I doing that time? I was discipling. I don't take it for granted that everybody shows up for a Bible study and knows Jesus Christ. I don't take it for granted that everybody in this room this morning is in a saving relationship with God. But what do we do? We teach the truth. We share our experiences. And hopefully in that discipleship, there is a point where a person comes to faith in Christ. So it needs to be hands-on instruction. Amen? All right, so let's look at Priscilla and Aquila a little bit more here. Verses 24 to 26. Models of discipleship in Ephesus. They were immediately impressed with this young man. Okay, a diamond in the rough. Apollos here. Okay, he was from Alexandria, the university town with a great library. Worldwide reputation for learning. We're told he's eloquent. Logias in the Greek, which means a gifted speaker and a deep thinker. He was mighty in the Old Testament scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, so he was teaching about Christ. And he had a heart on fire, being fervent in spirit, we're told. So literally meaning boiling over in spirit, full of enthusiasm. You guys like being around other brothers and sisters that are just on fire and just boiling over? Like, hey, I get to go hang with so-and-so, and I love it because they're just on with Jesus. It's fun to be around them. But one thing I love about Apollos, he was obviously teachable. He was teachable. What a trait to have. But this is where his eloquence and knowledge stops. He didn't understand the full orb of the gospel of grace completed with Jesus Christ, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Neither did he know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, So Apollos needed to be discipled. Even though he was being used by the Lord, (laughs) you know, had a grasp on truths, there were some things he didn't know yet. And that's where we all need to be discipled. I don't care if you've been in the Lord for decades, you still should be being discipled. Okay, And I've put myself under people that didn't even know that I was being discipled by them. But I've had seasons through life where I've gone to older brother's in the lord where i respected their ministry i respected their teaching of the scriptures even if i didn't agree completely with their doctrine i knew there were things that i could learn from them from their experiences from their ministry experience i wanted to learn there's been a couple guys i've literally listened to four five six hundred studies from different men through the years we got ben corson coming out Uh, to teach our men's retreat next month his dad's one of my favorite bible teachers of all time he's got over 1500 bible studies online for free that you can listen to i've listened to almost all of them (laughs) i've gone through the majority of the scriptures with john through the years and john doesn't have a clue who i am (laughs) you know but it's one of those things guys we need to put ourselves out there and if you can't find somebody you just make it happen read saints of old you know Keep looking, keep praying for those people to come in and to speak to you, because there are things we're not going to know at all. And hopefully there's going to be people in our life that are able to speak in and to teach us. So we have Aquila and Priscilla. Tactfully, they reach out to the disciple himself, or disciple him. Um, Once he grasped the complete truth, there was no holding back. He wanted to go to the region of Acacia. Uh, He had his own goals and style of ministry. So don't disciple them to be exactly like you, okay? It's not Christian cloning (laughs) that God's asked us to do. Each one of us in this room are radically different. God's given us different giftings, different personalities. We shouldn't look all the same. That's not good. The goal is not to become like Pastor Landon. Please don't, okay? If we get a lot of Pastor Landons in one church, we're going to have issues, okay? (laughs) We have different giftings. Okay, and we need to use those giftings, work with those. So rather than squelching or suppressing him, Aquila and Priscilla helped to write a letter of recommendation for him. So in all positive discipling relationships, there is a time to let go. And we should be okay with that. It's just like, hey, you know, you've grown in the Lord. You know, you are grounded. You know the truth. You have zeal. Go serve. Do. Okay? Who cares if they do it your way or not? Guys, no ministry still gets done no matter how it plays out. There's a lot of different methods. But hey, if people are coming to know Jesus, discipleship is happening. Praise God. So, discipling is training, but it's also releasing that person, okay? So that the discipled one can train others. And that's what Apollo set out to do as he has set sail for Acacia. So Apollos, in verse 27 and 28 here, models discipleship then in Acacia. Are you guys seeing what's happening in this chapter? So as Paul instructed Aquila and Priscilla, then they passed their learning on to Apollos. Now he voiced the same message to those back in Acacia, where Paul had started. Pretty cool circle, huh? So remember again, 2 Timothy 2.2. Me, to you, to other faithful men and women, and then they share with others. Pretty simple, right? So me, that would be Paul, you, Timothy, Silas, Aquila, Priscilla, Dr. Luke, faithful men, that would have been the Corinthians, Apollos, the Ephesians, and others, many in Acacia, we're told. You guys see how that plays out in Acts chapter 18 for us. So our personal challenge. What were the three steps? Get close, train, multiply. That's what we see in Scripture. Do you see a diamond in the rough around you that you can invest into today? I hope so. I love our children's church teachers today. What are they doing? A lot of little diamonds in the rough <laughs> stuff. But man, what does God have? Some of you guys think I don't have an opportunity to disciple you. Got kids? You are a disciple, or whether you like it or not, mom and dad, you got them right in your home. Full time. Okay, I casted a little bit of vision about doing a school of discipleship one day, providing that for our young people or anybody really stuff, but just to have a season, to be hands on, intense discipleship, to do life together. How cool would that be? I think that's where people can really grow. So, also, whom might you reach through the discipleship process? And are you ready? When's the best time to start? Right now. So if you're not presently in discipleship or discipling relationship, what barriers have you kept or have kept you from entering one? Because there's a lot of excuses. I've heard the excuses. Okay, I threw out an invite before. I'd love for every man in the church to come up for <laughs> leadership training. And for you guys who are a part of it, we've had 16 men join and be a part of it. We've emphasized from day one, we started in January, hey, this is something that's needed. We need to pour into the men of the church, into leaders to raise up. But we've emphasized from day one, it's going to be about relationship. We want to pour into each other. We want to be getting together with one another, praying with one another, encouraging one another in each other's gifts. That's the emphasis of it. That's discipleship. So, what's your excuse from not being a part of that group? Um, Sometimes we think, how could I help anyone else in their Christian life? Because I have enough problems myself. Good! (laughs) Christian, how do you handle your problems when they come up? Well, you don't understand, Pastor. My, My... My thing's a little different than yours. My thing's a little harder than what you have to deal with. Great. Because there's others that probably have that hard thing to deal with too. (laughs) You can minister to them in that. You can show them how you've grown through that. So wherever you're at. And remember guys, the best disciples aren't perfect Christians. So just be caring, be authentic, and take the initiative. Maybe find someone like Aquila and Priscilla, someone who has a background similar to yours, similar likes or dislikes, someone with whom you can work well, someone who is interested in following the Lord, then how can you associate more closely with that person? Ask yourself, how can I build companionship? How can I be vulnerable before the training begins? That's one thing I'm learning. I've always had a heart for discipleship, but I can honestly say in the last five years, okay, I've learned how to be vulnerable with people I'm working with and discipling. You know what? That opens them up to be real. Not that that hey, we're getting together. Hey, I'm, I'm going to get together with Pastor Landon. I've got to make sure I've done all my homework and I've been praying and doing this and that and everything's perfect. No, why? They can come and they can share their struggles, what they're going through, because I've shared my vulnerabilities. Hey, I'm struggling. Things at home right now are rough. You know, ministry's been really tough. You know. I've been beaten up by the enemy. If it's <laughs> being real with people, they'll be real with you. Also, what sanctification that God has used you to change one person who changed another, who changed another, who changed another. Okay, so the most overlooked disciples I think really are our children. Okay? They might be your mom and dad. I, mean, I know many of you guys, your parents don't have faith in Christ. They're caught up into their own religion, their own works. They don't want to hear about the gospel. So uh, consider discipling them. Um, so how would looking, um, looking at, say, your children in your life as disciples change your perspective towards them? Because you know? I think we get caught up in what we think parenting has to be. You know? Well, parenting isn't to make sure that they're getting here and there in this sport and that sport and become the best they can be. What is discipling? Hey, son, <laughs> daughter, life is about Jesus. It's about glorifying God. That's why you've been created. This is what daddy and mommy do. This is how we serve the Lord. This is how we pray. This is how we love you guys. This is how we train you guys. This is what's most important. It's not that you can hit a ball good. You know, but it's that you can walk uprightly, that you can make your way through this crazy world, discern what's right and wrong, how you can discern God's will in your life to follow Him, to serve Him all the days of your life. And when it's all said and done, you'll hear God say, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because let me tell you what, God's never going to say, hey, that was an awesome home run you hit when you were 12 years old. Can you guys picture God ever saying that to us? I'm not saying baseball's wrong, you know. But when you're training your kids, you're discipling them. Baseball's a beautiful thing, okay. Yesterday, I just went down to the park down the road here with my sons, and we were throwing the football around in the baseball field. And there was this young kid that we saw two days ago, all by himself. He's the same age as Uriah, just walking around Kakana by himself at 9. Baseball bats in his pack, you know. it's just like, hey, I wonder if he's still playing baseball. We go to the park, huge park. There's only one kid there. Guess which kid it is? Same kid. Well, this kid played baseball with my son Uriah this summer. He runs over. Is that you, Uriah? You know, and we were just throwing the football around. But my kids, knowing the Lord, there was just conversation of God coming up. Where this young man was using the name of God for other reasons. <laughs> My kids were just talking about the reality of God. And I caught this young man two different times. I could just see it in his face as my boys were just talking about life, reality, the reality of who God is. You know, they weren't like purposely like, hey, you need to get saved, dude. They were just living for the Lord, enjoying time, playing football. And God was a part of it. And I could see on this young man's face, just like, what? I've never heard anything like that you know you know your eye makes a good catch yeah that's why god made you so tall so you could catch that ball you know just one little thing like that what might have that done in that young kid's heart you don't know but we have opportunities guys to disciple in our own homes what really matters in this life so don't let things in life be an excuse not to disciple we're always going to have excuses last bit of advice for you and i this morning i want you to remember that they belong to god as you disciple somebody they're gods (laughs) okay they're gods that's something too i'm learning later in life (laughs) it's just been the last few years because i've tried so hard to make brothers and sisters walk with the lord Grab them by the hand. Hey, this is just what you need to do. God's ways are bad. Don't go there. Come back over here. Trying to drag people along, but the reality is everyone has their own choice. You guys know that? You can't make people follow the Lord. You can't make people seek Him. What you can do is encourage them and pray for them. Be an example to them. okay? And ultimately know that they belong to God. So don't let them become dependent upon you allow them freedom to fail, instill confidence in the Lord in them, and when they demonstrate the ability to train someone else, your job's done. You're through. And then what do you do? You begin again. (laughs) Find a new disciple. So, question. Are you willing to try? I think this has been a pretty good chapter for us to look at discipleship, the process of it. We know clearly what God's asked us to do as his kids, as believers. Are you willing to try? Because I have a feeling there's many in here who have discipled through the years, and maybe you're in a season where you're not discipling somebody. You need to go find somebody else. For some of you, maybe you never have. That's been an overwhelming thought. Well, guess what? It's time to go for it. And the only real question is, are you willing to try? So, the disciple must bear both the yoke and the cross, We cannot choose to take one and leave the other. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for what you've set before us this morning in the book of Acts here. This is so practical and so needed uh, for us today. And we thank you for this word. We thank you for the encouragement, Lord, that your ways are way better than ours. God, you made it so simple. You want us just to do life with others, to love them, to teach others of what we've learned of you, and to uh, keep us in a place of growing and learning too. I love the example Apollo's is for us, that he was teachable. Even though he was crazy gifted, Father, he was humble enough, Lord, to keep learning to listen and i pray that you keep us open god especially to your holy spirit Lord, i know that you're wanting to do in our lives daily and to teach us so much god even in being discipled but also discipling others that's something we grow in and it's in the art and as we look to you we're going to learn more and more how that looks like and how that happens and I especially want to pray for all the moms and dads, even the ones that don't have the kids in the house anymore. Never stop being a parent. I just pray for for these. Just give them wisdom, how to be praying for their kids. If there be prodigals in the family, or those that don't know you, God, just how to how to be praying and how to speak into their lives, Father. That there would be a, a openness and and. And just space and opportunity to ask questions and talk about real things. We just thank you, Father, that you are the hope of this world. That without you, God, there, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. God, you've given us the good news. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. Father, we just pray that you'd help us Well, we have a short time left here on this planet. We just pray that you give us opportunity just to shine brightly for you, Father. Until you come. Amen. 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 Amen.